listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. It's the social club. We are back for another discussion, a little bit about Arsenal and a little bit around some of the big Premier League stories. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show. First of all, Mr. Dan DeLuca. How are you, sir? Meh. <laughs> I thought you'd say something like that. <laughs> tough, tough day at the office, eh? Yeah, I'm all right. He's all right. He's all right. It doesn't sound very convincing. And uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Simon Alavi. How are you, sir? It's been a while. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Arsenal have won consecutive Premier League games. I feel like a new man, although I haven't slept in about four or five days. So uh, no, yeah. I'm feeling it in that sense, I've got to say. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been a challenge. And actually, I've got a bone to pick with both of you because... Neither of you warned me just how difficult it is to deal with a toddler and a newborn baby. You both kind of played it down. You were saying it's only one and a half times harder instead of double as hard. And I, I disagree with that. I think it's double as hard. I think the first the first few months are really difficult for because both, you know, one's not sleeping and for the other, there's this new addition. So the first few months are difficult, but I think after a year or so, it's easy. Fingers crossed you're right. Fingers crossed you're right. Right. Before we uh, continue on uh, into some of today's topics, there's a couple of things uh, that we need to mention. It would be wrong uh, not to mention the sad passing of former England and Tottenham star, played for a couple of other clubs as well, Jimmy Greaves, who sadly passed away at the age of 81. He'll be remembered as a prodigy, pioneer and pundit, as well as one of the greatest natural goal scorers England has ever produced. So really, really sad news uh, to wake up to this morning. And we send our condolences to all his family and friends. Uh, also want to mention another high-profile passing today, and that is, of course, of uh, the wonderful... John Chalice uh, of Only Fools and Horses. Uh, he was a massive Arsenal fan as well. I'm sure if you're an Arsenal fan, you've seen those posts he used to put up on Twitter uh, of himself wearing his Arsenal top. And uh, Only Fools and Horses is a great show, great programme that the three of us have grown up on, really. And we all uh, talk about it quite a bit, don't we, in our group chat. So uh, condolences to another uh, legend of the TV screen and, of course, a uh, an Only Fools and Horses hero. Uh, so, yeah. Really sad news to start off the day, um, but unfortunately, such is life. We uh, we do send out our best wishes, of course, and we move on. And we're going to start off by discussing uh, Arsenal's second consecutive victory in the Premier League. The Gunners defeated Burnley at Turf Moor by a goal to nil. And I want to come to you first, DDO, on this, because when we spoke on last week's edition of the Social Club, you were quite quite calm and calculated about the whole situation. Now, I know you're not an Arsenal fan, so you are looking at it from the outside in, but you were, you know, very much of the view that Arteta probably should be given time. And and have you been impressed by what you've seen since we last spoke? Because although it wasn't the most 
you know, convincing victory yesterday in terms of the scoreline, we are seeing a, a certain element to Arsenal's game that we haven't seen in years gone by. And that's largely down to this new core of players that have come into the side in the last couple of weeks. I think I think their games, the, the game yesterday, if you're a poor side, a really poor side, you won't you won't win the game one nil. Because it wasn't an all round convincing display, but it 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 was enough. They're the sort of games when you're really, really in a rut. Something happens in the last 10, 15 minutes that that sees the point slip away and everyone leaves frustrated. I, I, like for those who listened last week, I was relatively confident in Arsenal's um upcoming fixtures. Obviously, obviously Norwich and Burnley now that's two wins. Um, ideal fixtures in terms of the opponent, so long as you win the games, and those games have been won, and then just like that, full of confidence going into a home North London derby, Spurs and Spurs struggling in the last two weeks, and suddenly things look up, and then after that, it's three winnable fixtures. So it doesn't take a lot in the early stages of the season to to turn things around. And I think, um, I think uh, I I kind of alluded to it last week on the show when a few people in in your um, well, a few of your followers on Twitter were being a bit critical about the scoreline. It's not a time for scorelines at the minute. It's a bad start to the season. It's about stringing a couple of confidence building wins together, seeing the points go from zero to three to six to nine, and, and suddenly things um, f- things feel a lot better. I think um, uh, obviously a new addition to the defence in, in in Tommy Asu back to back back to back clean sheets and settled in there. Sure, it's really really poor opposition, but. Brilliant! What a great time to make your debut as a defender in, in a game where you know you're not going to be tested as much. And and Burnley do pose a different threat, and that was dealt with. And obviously Gabriel um, has had a, a couple of solid performances as well. Which uh, you know you, there's an opportunity to see a partnership forming with a new goalkeeper behind them. I think um, just to finish a point off, I think I think one thing I'll say Arteta has done well here, and uh, you know. Uh, there's not a whole host of things he, he's done well in his tenure as Arsenal manager so far, but bringing Ramsdale straight in and dealing with that straight away, he's the number one. Well, we've paid this for him. He's going to be the number one. We're not going to wait three months to put him in and play him in a few cup games and then just slide him in like in December. Straight in, start to build that back two, which is, is going to be Ben White and Gabriel with Ramsdale behind him and start to form that relationship early. Uh, I think that that's 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 quite a smart move. Yeah, good stuff. Alavi, we haven't spoken in a while and obviously Arsenal started the season in really, really poor fashion. Uh, you know, three defeats on the bounce. Where are you in terms of the, the Mikel Arteta debate? I know, as Dan mentioned, we've picked up two results, albeit against two of the weaker sides in the division. But where do you stand on the whole Arteta and Arsenal debate at the moment? Yeah, I think you look at Norwich, they're, they're probably the, the worst side in the division. Burnley look awful at home. Um in particular, you know, drew with Leeds, lost to Brighton, and now lost to Arsenal. Their results at home, I think, I, I probably disagree with Dan a bit in terms of the scoreline not mattering. I think what matters more is, did you ever look like losing any of those two games or drawing any of those two games? And they didn't. So, the one your scoreline probably matters a bit, but actually, that second point um, matters even more. So, yesterday I was probably impressed. Thomas Party the most because every good team that wants to fit in those other five more attacking players is essentially constrained by how good that 
holding player is and how well that player slips into the um, the back line and then can play as a five. And I think Thomas Partey um, does that exceptionally. I wouldn't get too carried away. I think now is the time where you, you play in Spurs and I think Brighton after that, that's the real test. So like I've always said to you, it's it's those games, right? Not 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 when you beat the, the relegation candidates and not when you lose to City and, and Chelsea. Actually, the test and the true... Um, I guess the true picture of where you are as a team is Spurs and a high-flying Brighton who are above City at the moment. The, I do think that Mikel Arteta has a style that he's trying to implement. I do. Somewhere I can see something. I just feel that he doesn't all he doesn't have the players to quite do it. And that is partly his own fault because it's his recruitment. But you look at, take, take Ben White as an example... He gets the ball and just sort of divers and he's a little bit slow and the mate the Niles comes on. Sometimes he's he's full of energy and the other times he's very lackadaisical. And I just feel that Mikel Arteta hasn't got eleven players to execute his game plan. You look at the others that have come from, say, Madrid, uh, Real Madrid, like Odegaard, Atletico Madrid, like Parsi, they're used to just getting on the ball, playing it how Mikel Arteta would want to play. Um and I think that could that that could be a real issue going going forward. I think they need to they need th- I think they need to win at the next two games. I really do. Um, and we'll see from there. The North London derbies, especially after today's result, is absolutely huge. Now, like I, I do agree with Dan in the sense that the defender looked look good. He looked strong. There's a reason a lot of players um, uh, a lot of players. Um, Sorry, a lot, a lot of teams were trying to buy him in the summer. Um, very difficult to get a player like that. Um, and Arsenal have done well. He, he seems to fit right. You'd think he'd been playing there for years. Really yeah. aggressive. Great player. Um, I'll, again, careful not to get too overexcited. But you could just... The difference between, say, him and White on their first in their first game is just uh, chalk and cheese, isn't it? Yeah, I... I think the whole thing about Arteta's squad, though, and about the team that he's got now, I think now he can't use that as an excuse anymore because he has brought in enough players now to be able to say that this is Mikel Arteta's side. There are still a few stragglers in that squad, players that were there from prior and players that he's not been able to shift. But I think he's got enough of a core of a team now that he can call his own. I guess the frustrating thing is, and I think Dan made this point when we spoke last week on the show, the frustrating things for Arsenal fans is, it feels like the project's beginning now, but actually we're, you know, nearly a couple of years into his tenure and it probably should have started earlier. But we are where we are and we've got to move forward. Just a couple of points before uh, we move on. Ben White, I thought, when I watched the game yesterday, I thought he was really, really disappointing. When I watched it live, I was really frustrated by a couple of moments in particular. Gave the ball away um, in silly positions, almost cost us one right at the start of the second half. And then, of course, that awful back pass to um, to uh, Aaron Ramsdale, which almost led to Burnley getting a penalty. Now, I've seen some Arsenal fans defending Ben White because Mikel Arteta complained that the grass was long at Burnley and that that pass ordinarily would have got back to the goalkeeper. But for me, if you've been playing on a pitch for 45 minutes, 
prior to that, you should know how the pitch plays. You should have worked that out. You should have sussed that out. So for me, that's not an excuse. And and finally, just on on Takahiro Tomiyasu, I think he's been you know a breath of fresh air. Is Alavi just put yourself on mute? I think, mate. If it's not, don't worry, I'll do it. Um, Takahiro Tomiyasu, as 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 you rightly said, just slotted in like he's been playing there for years. And and I think what was key in that acquisition in particular was not that Takahiro Tomiyasu is the greatest right back in the world or that he's the greatest centre back in the world, but he fits the profile of what Mikel Arteta was looking for in that position to a T. Somebody who is a comfortable right back who gives you an added physicality, but somebody who can also slot into that back three when Kieran Tierney bombs on. Throughout Mikel Arteta's Arsenal tenure, I've talked about the fact that this team, the way he wants to play is lopsided. It does focus on getting the left back forward and the right back being left behind. So Takahiro Tomiyasu feels like a good fit. But of course, the test will come when he plays against better opposition. And I'm intrigued to see how he's going to fare. Um, Harry, mate, when you, you talk about, hmm. sorry, when you talk about Arteta and this project, this Arsenal project is essentially based around four maybe at a push five, young attacking midfielders who do look like they've got potential. Now, they will be under pressure if they don't score a certain amount of goals. So rather than relying on them to score a certain amount of goals, what you probably need is your prolific striker to just score 20 and get them out of trouble. You look back last season, Aubameyang scored the same goals as, I don't know, Gundogan, Gundogan <laughs> City, Oh, sorry, Lacazette has. Aubameyang scored the same amount of goals as, um, I don't know, I think it was Thomas Kuchek, something like that. So <laughs> you you need those attacking players, your Aubameyangs, your Lacazettes, to be scoring. He can't, he can't have scored the same as Sujek, surely. I think, he, I, think, I think Premier League goals, I think they scored the same last season, yeah. Really? The same as Thomas Sujek, yeah. Aubameyang? Pretty sure. No way, no way. I'm going to look that up because I'm certain that can't be right. Around I'm certain that. Same as Lacazette and um, Gundogan of, of City. But what I mean is you need those players to score more goals so that the pressure isn't on those young players like Saka. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I said that on the podcast yesterday. I talked about the fact that we do need, um, you know, we do need those players to step up because we are going into games essentially asking Bukayo Saka and asking Emil Smith-Rowe to produce the kind of outputs that they're just not going to produce at this stage in their careers. Um, before we continue, I just want to say a massive thank you to Richard Barker there, who's just signed up to become a member of the channel via our YouTube channel. Uh, so if you want to do that and support the show, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. We really, really appreciate all of the support. Now, moving on, let's talk a little bit about Manchester City. And Dan, anybody who's listened to this show, with you as a guest in the past, we'll know your feelings on Pep Guardiola. So you must have taken particular pleasure in Pep Guardiola calling for the fans to turn up against Southampton only to serve up a nil-nil draw. What did you make of it? <laughs> I um, I watched that game yesterday. That was my first, um, that, that was my, my choice at a three o'clock kickoff. And like most Pep Guardiola performances, I, I got bored. Um, and I continue to be bored throughout the whole game. And, and I get bored when I watch them if they win 5-0 or if they win 0-0 because they're just really, really boring. Um, but there was that there was that famous show a couple of years ago that um, that the, the, the journalist came on from, might be from 90 Men. Um, Boobie. Boobie, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was on. And I, I just feel like 
all of our points are just just completely valid, obviously. But it's not this thing with Pep Guardiola and me where I'm going to say he's terrible until he's terrible and then say I was right all along because that's too easy. What I'm saying about Pep Guardiola is he he's a nutty professor and he does things to himself that he didn't need to do. And, and yesterday's game was just a perfect Pep Guardiola showing himself up performance. Um, I'm, I'm just seeing a flashing up there that Alavi is um, Alavi is bang on with the uh, with the with the Suchek and Obama Obama uh, Yang um, comparison. There you go. Um, Someone so, did their homework. Yeah, so Pep Guardiola yesterday, he does things to himself for no reason. He, he hasn't got a striker. Um, he's he's trying to win a league this season when there's too much competition for him to do what he likes and, and he's going to get himself in a mess in a minute. They've played six domestic games. They've failed to score in three of them. You know, this isn't a one-off anymore. This is not a one-off. They're, they're, they're including the community shield. That's, that's three blanks um, in, in, in six games. It's ridiculous. He's got one striker at the club. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted Kane. I know people saying, "Oh, he didn't need Kane because they're scoring five against Norwich or whoever." The reason they need Kane is because is because they don't have a prolific striker in games like this. It's, it's no good like scoring five one game and then zero in three games. It's it's, it's 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 ridiculous. So he's got one striker. He plays him out wide. Then because of that, you've got to, you've got to play Sterling. You're wasting your best. You're wasting your best wingers pulling them into the middle. You have got your best striker out on the wing. You have got Sterling, who is a terrible footballer, and he has been for at least three years, just flitting around doing whatever he likes and and not buying into the, in buying into the ethos. He, he seems to be confusing himself, Pep Guardiola, in, in that he's at that place now where even though he can rotate and he's got brilliant players, I always felt like he knew what his best team was and his core was. I'm not sure he knows anymore. Or he's worked that out. Um, it sounds like I'm being dramatic, um, but I don't think I am. I, I think if you watch a guy whose obsession for the Champions League is clearly massive, and then he turns up to that final, he plays with two left wingers, no striker, and no defensive midfield, and loses one nil. You're dealing with a guy who is who is losing the plot. He, he's honestly losing the plot, and his performance against Southampton, for anyone who um, has watched extended highlights, was just absolutely drab. It was just, it was just ridiculous. It was just like he picked eleven players and told them to play where they wanted. It, it, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. And um, you look at, you compare that. I know we'll come on to it in a minute. But if you compare that, compare that to what we saw from Chelsea today at a ground where Manchester City have already been this season, and they just look poles apart, and they're playing each other next week. And um, I can't wait to see how that's going to unravel. But yeah, to answer the question. In that debate with Boovy, he he had a go at me. He, he weren't very nice to me, was he, if you remember. But but he basically said, Pep plays the most entertaining football in the world. And I said, if it's that entertaining, why is the ground always empty? Which I think is a fair enough question. And he gave me a bit of shit for being from London and people from Manchester not being very affluent. I went to Manchester not long ago and I paid like seven quid a pint. So I'm not having that. But... Then this week for Pep to call for the fans to come in and follow up with a nil-nil draw. It's just absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And you saw with the debate with the supporters club afterwards, that relationship is just starting to get a little bit fraught between the fans who have treated him like the Messiah. Some may say understandably so, you know, because of because of the things he's done for Man City. Yeah, all the other managers have done the same since the money, but but whatever. But now that, that relationship is starting to be strained. And I think that is because some football fans are sensible 
they would have watched that Champions League final, what Pep Guardiola did in it, and they'll be really, really disappointed because that's the one they want. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Alavi, do you think that Man City will regret not bringing in a striker? And what did you make of Pep's comments about the attendance? I don't. I think they've got enough quality to know. I mean, if a if a striker they're worried about bringing in was Harry Kane, I don't think they should be um, that worried at the moment. But more his comments, I just felt that if this is someone who joined the Barcelona youth system at 13 years old, right, I, I just think he's got no. He's not in touch with the common person who is paying. You know, I don't think City. You know, I don't know. Do they include Champions League games, home games in their season ticket? Probably not. You know, Dan, Dan started his point by saying that was the three o'clock game he chose to watch. Well, that says it all, doesn't it? That there there are ways now that a fan can avoid paying X amount of money to watch a game that usually they would have to um, go and attend, go and attend to watch. And so he's just completely out of touch with reality. You know, people can't necessarily afford to go to a game. Also, I think there's a big discrepancy in terms of the actual attendance of a game and what then gets reported. I don't know quite know how they even come to the total, but it's not always accurate. Whether his comments were slightly misconstrued um, because of a slight language barrier, I don't know. He half went back on his comments today, by the way. But, you know, this is a guy, like Dan said, he's, what, won five out of the last ten leagues. And actually, that relationship is becoming a bit, to use Dan's word, fraught. So, I just, I think that the comments were a bit, a bit distasteful. They're just unnecessary. Like, what, to, if you then, I'll tell you what, if you make those comments, then go out and make sure you win 3-0. Don't have 16 shots on, uh, 16 shots and only get one on target. But the, this you, is the thing, sorry, Dan, just one second. Just one second. The thing that really irritates me about the whole Manchester City and the attendance thing and all of that is those tickets for that game midweek were something like £12.50. Manchester City put them up on a really cheap sale to get people in the door. Okay, now I've paid more than that to go to watch Arsenal against AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday night. Not a Champions League game, but... You know, for me to say that they can't afford it is, you know, I get it. You know, people can't always afford to take their whole families. And it is a lot more than just a match ticket. You're going to pay money to get there. You're going to pay money to get back. You're going to buy food. You're going to buy drink. You're going to buy programs, whatever. And all of that does add up. But, you know, we know better than most what the cost of going to football is. But I just think that Pep Guardiola has come from these clubs like Barcelona, like Bayern Munich, who are footballing institutions, clubs with incredibly big fan bases and loyal fan bases because they have years and years and years of history. And and I said this on the 90 Min show the other day and I got a lot of stick. I said that Man City are a soulless club. They are. They are because 20 years ago, who the hell were Manchester City? It's the same with Chelsea. The only difference is, is that Chelsea have had that sustained success over a larger period of time. And in that time, they've grown as a football club. There's a much bigger worldwide fan base around Chelsea than there is around Manchester City because that success has been coming over a number of years. I just feel like Pep Guardiola is out of touch with what Manchester City actually are and what they uh, and what he perceives them to be. Yes, they're competing at the top of the Premier League, but in terms of the size and stature of the football club, they've got a long way to go before they're going to be packing out the empty had every single week. Yeah, but 
there, there's a difference between not filling the ground and visibly visibly empty seats. And I know like a couple of seasons ago, Arsenal went through a, a phase like this. And I'm not taking the piss. They did where you could visibly see the seats. But that coincided with a dip in form. I'm not saying that's right, but that is a reality of life. If you listen to Pep Guardiola's comments, or why I thought they were so strange, is what he actually said was on Wednesday, he said, we're going to need the fans because we're going to be tired and it's a tough game. What kind of motivational speech is that from a from a genius? You've basically told the opponent we're going to be tired. You've told your own team you're going to be tired. You've 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 pissed the fans off. Like who who out of that has come out of that with any good? I, I just don't understand it. Why would you? It's very easy as all, well, isn't it, for like a, a coach who let let's be fa- let's be you know fair and and not disingenuous, he's still a top-class coach or a higher-quality coach, but it is very easy to look up at the sort of empty seats and then go, well, don't you? Don't these guys appreciate what, or the lack of guys and, and, and ladies, don't they appreciate what I've built, what, what, what I've done here? Why is this achievement not being recognised twice a week? Actually, you should just be fortunate that that many people go and see you. Because um, he's boring. Twice a week, because... I'll tell you what, the ironic thing is, the fact that you could watch that game at three o'clock, Dan, on whatever channel you watched it on is the exact reason he's got... Whatever legal channel you watch that, whatever legal streaming service you watch that on. (laughs) But the exact reason he you watch that game, right, is exactly why he's able to spend hundreds and millions and millions. That's the biggest irony of the whole whole thing. You know, it's that circular... um, Circular... Um, money distribution. So there's a lot of people who probably would have liked to be at that game. You know, if you said to me, "Go, go to that game," I, I I've never been to the Etihad. I'd like to go to that game. But with you know, we've got six kids between the three of us, and work the next day. <laughs> Even for a twelve pound ticket, you you know, you can't go. It's, it's just logistics which which stop people. So I just I just found his comments. Just do you know what? I don't even I use for distasteful. Looking back, oh, I liked it. I just found them weird, like weird. That's the best word I can think to 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 describe them. Really, really strange. And I think it just shows that people who work in the game just they no longer they don't worry about their credit card bill at the end of the um, month. Like I said, he's he's been in that Barca youth system since he was thirteen um, years old, and maybe just as like you said, Harry, just completely lost touch. Yeah, it, it certainly feels that way. And, you know, just talking about that kind of point around sort of losing touch and, and the fact that, in my opinion, City are not a big enough club to fill up the stadium twice over sort of in a week. I think that that is valid. You know, you look at clubs like Manchester United, like Arsenal, and, and I can speak from an Arsenal perspective because I'm closer to it. I see it week in, week out. There's a there's a group of Arsenal fans that are the season ticket holders that will be at all the Premier League games, right? Now, the game on Wednesday against AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup is not included as part of the season ticket. You're given the opportunity to buy your seat as a season ticket holder. But I guarantee you that however many people turn up, whether it's 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, however many people turn up on Wednesday night, it will predominantly be a different group of supporters because Arsenal are that big a football club. Arsenal have a core fans with season tickets that attend every game. And then they have fans waiting in the wings who aren't as fortunate in terms of 
being able to get access to the tickets, maybe can't afford to go every week. Whatever the reason is that they don't go every week, they don't. And they see this game with reduced price tickets as an opportunity to get there. So you will see two different sets of fans, you know, between Wednesday night's game and Sunday's North London derby. I've seen it year after year after year. But Manchester City don't have that. Yes, they've got a core loyal supporter group. But beyond that, they're not that big a football club yet to be able to, to fill that stadium up twice in a week. And that has been lost on Pep Guardiola. He's completely overlooked what Manchester City are because he's had the, the kind of, he's had the wall pulled over his eyes because of how much they're spending and where they are in the Premier League. Yeah, but also, also there's a fundamental point that I think is being missed here. Their games are boring. <laughs> Their games are boring. Their games are boring. They might score one or you know one or two really really pretty nice goals, where they've got players of incredible talent. But their games are boring. There's no there's no getting away from that. Watching 174 five yard passes in a 10 minute spell, that's boring. I appreciate the technical brilliance of it, but it's not entertaining. It's a bit like watching a tennis player like hit. 25 aces in a set yeah it's really brilliant great serve mate but it's fucking boring just watching the ball go (laughs) and people are bored and man city fans are bored man city fans are bored because they look at it and they say um there's a game against southampton it's going to cost 30 40 quid a lot of money to to a lot of people i completely appreciate that the 12 pound 51 okay probably no excuse for that this is a team now are building up a base. They're building up a massive support base. There should be enough people to go once a season so you can't see swathes of empty seats, right? But it's boring. And you think, well, I'm going to go and watch that. I'm going to go and spend my foot at it. It went nil-nil this week, okay? Fair enough. But I'm going to go and watch Norwich. And it's 3-0 after like 11 minutes. And then we're going to spend the next 80 minutes just passing the ball around in triangles in the centre circle. Why the fuck? Well, who wants to spend their hard-earned cash on that? Like, it's boring. Obviously not Manchester City fans. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's at the end of the day, there'll probably be people giving me giving me stick, but watch a whole Man City game and tell me you're not bored. Because it's not my fault Man City fans aren't going, is it? It's not. That's absolutely right. Uh, let's move on. Let's take it on uh, to Manchester United. Uh, of course, they picked up a, a valuable three points at the London Stadium earlier today. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo getting on the score sheet again. Jesse Lingard coming back to haunt West Ham United. But West Ham had a huge opportunity to draw level when they were awarded a penalty deep into stoppage time that Mark Noble was substituted on specifically to take it. I'm going to stick with you first, DDL, uh, because I want to get Alavi's thoughts on the whole Ronaldo thing as well, because he hasn't been on the show since that happened. But Mark Noble being brought off of the substitutes bench to take a penalty, having not touched the ball, having probably not been fully warmed up, felt like a bonkers decision to me. And when I saw it happen, I said instantly, he's going to miss. Genuinely. Because it just seemed so, so crazy. You're not talking about bringing Cristiano Ronaldo off the substitutes bench here to make sure that you get the job done and you get over the line. We're talking about Mark Bloody Noble. I I just can't get my head around that. And I think they deserved what happened to them because of that crazy decision. What did you make of it? When when they put him up, when when um, when he was stood there and the board went up, I checked that it wasn't a testimonial. (laughs) (laughs) I thought um, I forgot he played for them. 
Um, it was my first reaction, um, to, be, to be fair. And actually, when you, when you said, in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo, when it comes to taking penalties, they're, they're probably on a par. Like, Mark Noble's record taking penalties throughout his career is second to very, very few people. He, he's got an exceptional record from a penalty spot. And what this incident, incident shows is how much pressure you put on a player by doing that. We saw it at the Euros. We criticised it then. Um, it's happened time and time again in penalty shootouts where, where the sub misses. Maybe it feels like a, a, a bigger proportion than it actually is in reality, but the amount of times you see a sub pick the ball up and he's had a few touches and you think, this isn't ideal. And every time every time you see it, I'm worried. In, in the Euros, um, obviously... It went horribly wrong, and they all missed, didn't they? Admittedly, there was about there was about eleven subs per team in the Euros. So, so, but you, you just get that feeling, don't you? And and when I saw him walk on and put the ball down, I, I just thought to myself, well, you're making this a much harder situation for him than you need to. You know, he wasn't on the pitch. You look at the players who were on the pitch for West Ham. There wasn't a dearth of them um, attacking options at at, at, at a time, um, and. I'd still like to think someone on that pitch when that penalty was given would want to take that. Like the minute the ref, I, I would like to think that someone. Well, Declan you, Rice had the ball in his hand. Declan Rice had the ball in his hands and on comes Mark Noble and says, yeah. nope, I've been sent on to take this. Give it up. Yeah. So, I mean, David Moyes has obviously in hindsight made a mistake. The point is a penalty is a pressure situation at the best of times. Then in the 90th minute, you add to that. Then you're playing against Manchester United, which is a, which is a big team. You add to it again, and then you're literally wiping the cobwebs off him and throwing him on the pitch specifically for it. And I, I just think if you get a penalty, that can decide a result in the 90th minute plus. By law, you should have to just smash it down the middle. He's put he's he's put it at the absolute perfect that, height for the keeper. Like it was actually a better save than it was a bad penalty. Where he raised his hand, didn't he? So, so he sort of went past it and raised his hand. The first time I saw it, I thought it was a perfect height. But, you know, if you're going to lift the ball off the floor, you have to find the absolute corner. He hasn't done that. And it's just um, it's a pretty horrible moment for him. And he'll feel pretty shitty. But I don't know how many times this is going to happen before managers stop trying to be overcomplicated. The goal's the same size. Someone is capable of scoring a penalty at the end of the day. And you, you put Mark Noble on specifically to take it and it's gone wrong. You're going to get some stick and you deserve it. Yeah, agreed. Alavi, what, what did you make of Manchester United? They've had a, a strong start to the season. We were talking about this last week. How far do you think Cristiano Ronaldo can take them in terms of a title challenge? Yeah, I think I echoed um, what DDL said on the last pod. And I think he mentioned that I, I made the point that, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is someone who, if he scores 14, 15 goals and gets them third places, He's done what he should be doing at 36. I think the idea and uh, the ideology that he is going to inhibit some of the young players' um, development is ludicrous because they should be doing everything they can to learn off him. But looking at their actual title chances, I think they'll fall short. I think as great a player he is, and you know. <laughs> there's, no, there's no debate that he is the greatest player to have ever played in the Premier League. As great players, he's, he's probably still not exactly what they needed. Positional-wise, I think they'll fall short because when you look at the other three teams, um, you know, City got Laporte, Acker, Stones, Diaz, 
you know, Chelsea have got four, five, six quality centre-backs. You know, even Liverpool, if Virgil van Dijk gets injured, they'll replace him with like for like someone like Konate will come in um, or Gomez will replace Matip. I think Manchester United will fall short with the fact that if Maguire, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, may not be our favourite player between the three of us, is has been reasonably solid. If he gets injured, who comes in? If Wan-Bissaka gets injured, Ballot comes in. If Shaw gets injured, Tellers comes in. They're not. That's where I think they'll fall short. Um, I just don't think that they're as strong defensively as the other three. Um, I think they could. I actually think they could finish there. I think they could even pick Liverpool, but they're just not as strong as as, as Chelsea or as, as Chelsea or City. I I enjoy watching Ronaldo going back to Ronaldo. I enjoy watching someone like him come and prove people wrong. I enjoy that element of Diego Maradona. He has in the sense that. He likes a challenge, and I think even though we all love Messi here, I think that's always going to be held against him to a degree. Um, yeah, go on. Do you, do you know what I think the issue is? I'm going to say something to start with. This is very typical me, the way I'm going to say this, right? And it's going to sound quite harsh, but then think about it. If you look at the, the top four, because it is a clear top four, and you look at Manchester United, the reality is they've they've still got the worst manager of the four, the worst goalkeeper of the four, the worst defence of the four, the worst midfielder of the four, and the worst attacker of the four. Right? Have they got the worst midfielder and attacker of the four? Well, they've still got they've still got Fred and and McTominay, like McFred around him. McFred, yeah. So so what Ronaldo's that done? That Liverpool side is not. That's what Ronaldo's that's done after the first eleven that. Liverpool side is not as amazing as people think. They've still got four. They've still got four attackers to make up the front three, haven't they? They've still got solid midfield options, and they've they've got they've proved last year that they can they can still compete to a degree um, with with the likes of Chelsea. Admittedly, Chelsea have improved, but then Liverpool got their players back. But my point is, Ronaldo coming in. He's going to do really, really well. In in seasons past, having Ronaldo there would have propelled them above other teams. What Ronaldo does this year is it brings them on a par with the other strike forces. And that's partly because of Ronaldo's age. And it's partly because you look at Liverpool, Salah is going to score loads and loads of goals like he always does. Lukaku is going to score loads and loads of goals for Chelsea um, like he always does. And Manchester City are going to score loads and loads of goals like they always do, even though they haven't got a striker because they, they have 80% of the ball. So, um, what I mean by that is, if you if you look at if you look at Liverpool's front three, I'd say it's still the best front three. If you look at Chelsea, Chelsea's front three, it's I'd say it's stronger overall. I'd say it's stronger. And if you if you look at Manchester City's overall attacking attacking position, I think it's stronger. So when I say they've got the worst attack at the front of of the front. Of the, of the of the top four, that that's the bit added on to the other points, maybe for a little bit of effect, right? But if you look at their attack, it's not it's not any better than those. So having a Ronaldo type character this year is basically just keeping them keeping them level with the other competitors. And and I think of the four teams, they're the least likely to win to win the division for for the reasons I've just I've just spoken about. Yeah, I mean the bookies have gotten four favourites for a reason. They're not normally oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't expect them to win the title, but I just wondered how much you think it closes the gap in terms of them 
and the Chelsea's and Manchester City's. I still think that Chelsea and Manchester City had a benchmark. I think that Liverpool will be there or thereabouts in the top four I'm talking about. But I wouldn't say it's beyond the realms of possibility that Manchester United finish above Liverpool. So I guess my point was, or my curiosity was, how much does the signing of Ronaldo elevate them and does it make a difference, a difference enough for us oh, to consider them as title challenges? My prediction, which could be obscured you wrong, is I think this will be the first season in a long time where you've got a lot more team, those four will fight for longer in the season. That you, you know, you normally see one or two pull away quite early. I think that'll happen really, really late. It probably will be the two you've said. But my instinct tells me it, it won't be in sort of December, January. It might be more like early April. I just think that there'll be the contenders will be there for longer and in with a shout than we think. Look at City already, they've won three out of five world title favourites. So, you know, by right, they should win four out of five already or or all five of their games, shouldn't they? So, um, you know, and with Manchester United as well, that I know you don't rate the, the, um, the atmosphere at Old Trafford, but there is something about them at Old Trafford with the fans. And, and last season, they won 10 out of 19 games at home without fans. So I think actually United, again, is going to be a fortress. So I, I think, I mean, I think Gary Neville said it on Monday Night Football after the Burnley-Everton uh, game. This is the best the Premier League has been for a long, long time. And I actually, I'd actually tend to tend to agree with what he's saying. This season should be immense if you're not excited about this season in the premier league then <laughs> go watch cricket or something hey there's nothing wrong with a bit of cricket I, all right I, just, I hope i hope man united fans don't get to hear my last speech because the amount of abuse that i'll get for that will just be like standard part of the territory mate it's part of the territory uh moving on to our final topic uh today saw tottenham take on chelsea at the tottenham hotspur stadium in what was dubbed as Game Zero. Sky had partnered with Tottenham Hotspur to host the world's first net zero carbon football game at an elite level. And and Tottenham went one further by not even turning up. So they didn't use any emissions in terms of getting to the stadium because in the second half, especially DTR, they were just non-existent. I must admit, I thoroughly enjoyed it being an Arsenal man, as I would. And I took a lot of confidence from that ahead of next weekend's game. What did you make of the game overall? What did you make of Spurs? What did you make of Chelsea having and seen them up close? I thought Spurs were were terrible, um, which I, I guess is kind of obvious. Um, and Chelsea were very, very, very good. And the reason they were very, very, very good was because they did absolutely everything. They, they weathered a storm, they defended well, they broke up the play when they had to, and then they changed it. And then once they'd let Tottenham empty the tank. They picked them off and ripped them to absolute pieces with ease, I would say. Um, I think from a defensive point of view, and I guess a similar view you had um, when when Spurs got, um, when Arsenal got battered up at Man City, the goals that were conceded, you would like the other team to have to work a little bit harder for, for some of those goals. So I was frustrated about that. I know there's people suggesting well, there are some positives from the first half and a platform to build on, but I don't really see it that way because, um, you know, having an energetic 20 minutes at home is the minimum I'd expect. And, and if the manager's asking us to play with a really high press, 
and energetic and and we've only got 20 minutes of that then something's got to change pretty quickly um i don't know how quickly like you can build up players fitness but you know if, if you're running out of puff after 25 minutes i thought it's quite a typical spurs performance of, of of the last two or three years where the first thing that went wrong causes the floodgates to open they just haven't got that ability whether it's mental or technical it's probably a combination of both to overcome the first hurdle and the thing that really grates on me um and i researched this afterwards it's one of those things i knew i was going to be right but i thought i'd just check but in that game chelsea committed 15 fouls right when you're under pressure sometimes you've got to dig in you've got to be dirty you've got to break the game up you've got to stop attacks especially in the first half you're probably going to get away with quite a lot with 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 most referees especially in a in a season of letting the game flow in a whole match Tottenham made four fouls four fouls make a fucking foul do you, do you know what I mean if you're under pressure no matter who you no matter who you are no matter what level of football you play at if someone boots you up in the air the next time you're running past them you'll think just a little bit you know, you, you need to, there needs to be more aggression um, with Tottenham because we're not a very good team anymore. We weren't a good team last year. We're not any better this year. We were a good team four years ago, but that's becoming a, a more and more distant memory. And to replicate that lack of ability, you need aggression and you need, you know, every time you look there, every time Arsenal lose to a team they shouldn't lose to, you'll look at it and say, well, the other team were, you know, they were aggressive. They got in and amongst us and they, they you know, they were in our faces. That's how worse teams win games. And I don't think some players who play for Tottenham realise how bad they are. Fair, fair. Alavi, what did you make of... Um, what have you made of Spurs under Nuno so far? Yeah, I, I don't... I, all right, it's no secret that Nuno wasn't their man. Otherwise, they wouldn't have spent two months trying to find someone Everybody else. else. Yeah. <laughs> Spurs look like they have a squad that's conducive to three at the back. Nuno doesn't seem to be playing that. Not quite sure why. I think I'd be worried about the fact that the last two second halves against Palace and Chelsea have well, pretty, pretty much capitulated in both. Um, the only positive I'd probably say today was the Argentinian. I think he looks good. I think he looks strong. I think he's aggressive, tenacious uncompromising. Again, he, he played, he's unknown, isn't he, from Atlanta. I know we've got a 55 million buyout clause or something, but, you know, again, he played in a back three there, so I'm not sure why he's not using them. And, you know, f football can be made so complicated sometimes, but essentially Spurs need to do well by making Son and Kane tick. It's not, it's not like that difficult, is it? And so when that happens... They're, they're great. If it doesn't happen, they're done for. And I know a lot's been made from Tuchel, this sub he made and, and Kante came on and changed the game. And look, I was the one who after two, three games said that I've never been so impressed with a manager as I have Thomas Tuchel I've probably ever, you know, ever seen in the Premier League's history. But that substitution, all that did was dis disrupt the sort of possession that um, Spurs, were, Spurs were enjoying. Actually, Chelsea are a better team and, it, and when you are playing against a better team, they will have 10, 15, 20 minutes when they're on top. And if they score two goals in that 15, 20 minutes, you will lose the game. So what I'd be, what I wouldn't be worried as a Spurs fan that I've gone and lost to Chelsea because that's 
expected. I'd be more worried that I'm looking at that bench and you've got Harry Winks and two or three players I barely knew played for Spurs. That's that's it's it's just it's a bit like Arsenal where sometimes you just look at the the bench and you think it's not that re it's not a great team. It's not the team you remember when you're young. And if if Kane, as much as I give him and berate him, it, it, they need Kane to to not play deep. They need Kane to to be at his best. They need Son to be at his best. And it didn't happen today, which is fine. But if it doesn't happen in the North London derby, they'll lose. If it doesn't happen the week after, they won't get the wins that they should. I'm not. I, I, I think Nuno needs a bit more time. This is someone who was rightfully given a lot of plaudits at his time um, with Wolves. But let's not forget he spent 300 million at Wolves in two or three years. And for every great, every great 30 million pound signing, 40 million pound signing, like I don't know, Ted Jimenez. There was also a silver from Porto who, you know, not flopped, but certainly to use DDL's words, didn't pull up any treats. So Nuno was a good manager, but it's very different when you go to a side like Spurs who demand a certain type of football and have been in and around the race for both the league and the Champions League over the last five, six years. You're not given that opportunity to rebuild. They finished, Wolves finished 13th last season. Again, people forget that. They, so they scored. They scored thirty-six goals. They scored thirty-six goals last season. This is this is what the problem is. This is what the problem is. But like Arsenal and Spurs between them have scored five goals this season in, in yeah, ten games. Cool. They're having very very similar very very similar seasons in in, in, in a lot of ways. That they've pulled together a couple. Of right, 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 right. I actually thought I actually thought he was the one sort of shining light today. I think I think he, he could actually be some player. <laughs> I think with Tottenham, it's it's just it's not individual players at the minute that that's the problem. It's 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 the collective situation that we find ourselves in. I, I personally think that having lost um, having lost the Champions League final in in two thousand and nineteen, after that defeat, you have to clear out that team and replace it as quickly as possible because it is impossible to ask anyone to go from that high and miss out to then do it again and again and again and like how how are some of those players and i'm not saying this is right but it's just human like human nature like some of those players are going to play at, at wolves away in the carabao cup on tuesday how's that going to end i mean i'm going there because i'm a fucking idiot but how is that going to end do, do, do you know what i mean there's yeah. too many you, players you can, still you at can, the club so you can break down then you break down what the manager does and doesn't do but what is he meant to do with that bench today Let's forget that it's Chelsea. So, Let's just say that it's next week or the week off. What so, is he meant to do with that bench today? Yeah, so I think in terms of Nuno getting time, he's going to get a season and he'll get a bit of next season. There'll be some people on Twitter who will say, you know, Nuno out, we never should have appointed him. Well, maybe we shouldn't have appointed him, but we have and he's in. Yeah, have, yeah. So, so what I want to see is what I saw in the first 20 minutes. I'm fine with that. I was happy at half-time that we'd given it a good go and we appear to be trying to win the game and we were showing some energy. Games are 90 minutes long. If that's going to run out, after, if Nuno can find a way of doing that for 90 minutes, then we'll do okay. We will achieve what the, the ability the players allows us to achieve. But if it is apparent that the players aren't capable of doing it for 90 minutes, then I expect them to do something different. 
Now, what I what I something different is I've got my own ideas, but you know I don't get paid what he gets paid to work it out. Let's. Um, I've, I've just seen a oh. comment in a chat. I, I don't read the comments in a chat because I'm normally waffling, but it says I don't think Spurs are going to win the Conference League. Spurs aren't going to win the Conference League. There's no way Spurs are going to win the Conference League. It's, it's, it just won't happen. The team isn't isn't good enough. There are some teams in the Conference League that are Europa League level, and Spurs have never won the Europa League either. Well, not since 1984. We're not going to win the Conference League. The team isn't good enough. And what I was saying about systems, Alavi, Romero looked okay in parts, um, but you know he still trudged off the pitch 2-0 down and gave away plenty of other chances in a, in a back in a back four that wasn't really cohesive. We've got two attacking fullbacks who don't attack, yet they can't defend. It doesn't make sense. And like you've alluded to with Kane and Son, that's still probably the second, maybe third now, but no worse than that, best attacking partnership in the Premier League. And they're not having any shots. So there's something fundamentally wrong with a balance that needs to be addressed by, by Nuno. He will get a year. Pochettino's first year wasn't brilliant. Um, but like you said, and like Gary Neville said on Monday, the Premier League is getting stronger and we won't we won't find a season to, to find our feet and gain some momentum. We've got to build something out of the blue to try and break back into this top four. And we look we look miles away. So let me, miles away. let me put a couple of points to you uh, just to kind of wrap up the show. So first of all, on Alavi's point about Nuno um, and not wanting to play with a back three at the moment. If you remember Nuno, when he first came into the Premier League, played with that back three and did it very successfully with Wolves. And at the start of last season, he veered away from that. And and all the pundits and all the kind of commentators, and I remember doing a couple of Wolves games last season on commentary. And one of the things I kept saying was, why has this guy abandoned the very philosophy and the very system that's got him to where he is? in favour of playing with a back four. And the, the response I kept getting from Wolves supporters that were finding me on Twitter and on social media was, we're sick of the football. It's boring. And therefore, Nuno has felt the need to, to try and drift and change away from that. And I think that's been counterproductive. I think when you look at a team like Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel's a fantastic coach. But a lot of the time, I look at Thomas Tuchel's team go up against opponents and I say to myself, why on earth have you not matched them up? system-wise. Why have you not gone with a back three? And that was one of my biggest gripes with Mikel Arteta after Arsenal got beaten at home uh, by Chelsea earlier in the season, because at the very least, do the right things as a manager. And if it doesn't work out and you're beaten by individual brilliance, you can kind of hold your hands up. So I was baffled to see Spurs not opt to do that today. The other thing, and it's a question that was in the chat, um, Dan, is about Harry Kane. Because for me, I know that he came back late. I know that he had a busy summer, et cetera, et cetera. But Mikey asks, Dan, should Spurs have sold Harry Kane? I guess it's easy to say now, but, you know, it's only four games, isn't it? I think he's only played four games. So if Nuno gets time, then maybe Kane should. I think, I, I think... I don't know the answer because I don't know what was on the table. But if Spurs had the ability to replace Harry Kane and bring players into the team with the money, then it would have made a lot of sense to, to sell him. If they tried to 
there was something about the timing of the announcement. It was all it was all strange. I I don't think this was as clear cut personally as Daniel Levy saying you're not going at any cost. I think Spurs will have looked around. Levy would have looked around for value to try and replace him, and probably couldn't get the players he wanted. And then very late in the summer, um, probably advised Kane that he wouldn't be selling him anymore. And I reckon that's probably I'm guessing. But I reckon that's probably what caused some of the behaviours we saw later on in the summer. So to answer your question, should Spurs have sold Kane? Um, no, they shouldn't. They should have kept Kane and they should have bought in a couple of players to um, to, to perhaps give him the fucking ball in an attacking position. You know, it's, a, <clears throat> it's you know, if someone said in the summer, I know it was talked about, should we, should, should we sell Aubameyang as an Arsenal player? Your first stance is going to be, no, we shouldn't. We should keep our best players. So... Spurs should have kept Kane, but now let's use him because he's at that age now. He's 28, isn't he? Or about to be 28. He's not an athletic player. I said this on the pod last week. He's not a player who's going to play into his 30, late 30s like Cristiano Ronaldo and banging goals. He's not He's not very athletic. He's not fast. He's not strong. He's only going to get worse and worse and worse. So he he's now, Harry Kane is now at his peak. That's today. He's going to tail off. So we should be keeping him now and making the most of him now. And, and that's that's the bit um, where we failed. And that's why Tottenham fans, including me, are so, so, so frustrated. Alavi, if you were heading up Spurs, would you have kept him? Would you have moved him on? Uh, I would, yeah, said said to you guys in the summer, I would have, I would have sold him because what's the point of him having a bad season and going from being able to send him for 150 million to... 50, 60 million, you know, Spurs could have maybe rebuilt um, rebuilt their team to a degree. But again, I'm probably a bit biased because I don't rate Kane. You know, I, obviously I rate Kane, but I don't. I think that you should sell him for 150 million. I guess I, I just, I can't, sorry, going back to the Nuno, I wanted to ask Dan is, do you think that Spurs, <laughs> do you think that Spurs fans suffer a bit with the, and this applies to the Arsenal fans as well, where you have an inexperienced manager at that level, and therefore, when they do something re- good, it's highlighted and it's seen as it's seen as amazing. You know, like um, Nuno bought the best out of Deli Ali for a few games, or Mikel Arteta does X, and then as soon as they do something that's not quite as good or mm-hmm. results aren't going well, people eat quicker to jump down there, but lack of experience, lack of experience, who, who buys Woody and how's he not getting the best out of Kane? So I think you, it's a double-edged sword. The, the praise is almost higher when it's going well, but the criticism is even larger because it's, you know, the praise is unexpected, so it's, it, it, it's, it's amplified somewhat, but the criticism is even, it's quicker because they don't have that credibility in the bank. Let's just say Conte came in and, or Ancelotti came in and Kane wasn't playing well. Someone will turn around and say, yeah, but, you know, just, just Ancelotti will get the best out of him. You know, Conte will get the best out of him. Let's just say Ancelotti comes in or Conte comes in and um, start the season, Dele only plays well like he did start this season, two or three games. People turn around and go, well, yeah, of course. Cool. So, I mean, he's a great manager. That's that's what he's meant to do. He's meant to get the best out of them. And I think Spurs fans could get caught up in that. And and it's the same. Uh, and it's in alignment with Mikel Arteta as well. You just have to give him time. Just have to judge him away from the fact that he has managed a much smaller club, and and deal with the fact that he's there. 
Like, <laughs> there's no point yabbing on about, oh, well, yeah, yeah. He, he's there. Yeah, he's, he's there. He's giving me he's a there. You see what he see what he does in the year and see how long it takes to impose his style and have realistic expectations. Just before you log off, Drew, I didn't say United don't have a good attack. I said they got the worst attack of the four. Very, very different comments. Um but yeah, that that that's it, isn't it? But you have to have realistic expectations and and in the current world, every time a game is lost, everyone has to blame someone. So you either blame the manager or you blame the players. And if you've got a manager who is not a elite manager like a Conte, then it's easy to say, well, it's Nuno. It can't be Kane. It can't be Son. It can't be this. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's the problem with having a, a weaker name in there. It becomes really easy just to just to say, okay, well, it's that. That's my they've point. Got, that's exactly my point. Yeah. They've got a bigger target on their backs, but I just think that's the nature of people nowadays, man. Like in every debate, it has to be one way or the other. There's no in between. There's no rationale. There's no. There's no nothing. It's you're either Brexit or you're hard not Brexit. You're either, um, you know, in, in any issue, you're either vaccine or a vaccine or anti-vaccine. Yeah, yeah. That, like that, honestly, there, there seems to be no in between with anything anymore. And I just think football in the social media age has um, has taken that to a new level. Um, but yeah. All, all valid points, lads. Right, we are going to leave it there because we've been going for over an hour. A big thanks to uh, Alavi and, of course, Mr. Dan DeLuca. Starting with you, Alavi, how can people follow you on Twitter? Um, it's at Alavi underscore SSN. If anyone wants to be my fifth follower, please follow there me. There go. Tonight. Give him a follow. He needs him. Uh, D- <laughs> DDL, how can people keep up to date with your... Uh, I don't know what to call them. Ramblings, debates. Uh, I don't know what po- to call them. Little pokes. The pokes. That's it. That's it. Pokes. Definitely. Little, good, the right little, word. little pokes. Poke the bear. It's at um, here's DDL. No people on Facebook. Yeah. Oi, that, that, oi, that was um, that was how I got my first. That was how I got my first girlfriend. That was. <laughs> um, so um it's at here's ddl no apostrophe h-e-r-e-s-d-d-l um yeah i can be i can be found on there brilliant stuff make sure you give both the lads a follow and we'll be back next week with another edition of the social club if you haven't done so already make sure you hit a like on the video make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new and if you'd like to go one further by becoming a member of the channel and supporting us to bring you more Arsenal and football related content. You can do so by clicking on the link in the description. And once again, a big thank you to Richard who signed up during tonight's show. Uh, don't forget if you're listening via the audio platforms, leave us a review, give us a follow on Twitter at Chronicles underscore AFC, and we'll be back tomorrow with more until next time. Take care. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.